Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. On a very busy Monday afternoon, the legislature is in session downtown. They've only got a little more than two weeks left in the current session and still some very hot bills that have yet to be decided. One of them took a very big step today. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Before we do, let's uh, say hello to the people who are in the studio with us today. It's Monday. Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the AJC, is here. He also oversees the Political Insider blog at AJC.com. How are you doing, Jim? Good weekend? Uh, uh, too much yard work, but yeah. Otherwise, yeah. Did you do any great. woodwork? <laughs> no. You know, we should tell our listener, Galloway's grandfather was an extraordinary um, carpenter, wood wood carver. Wood carver. carver. Um, we've seen... He carved cathedrals. Hey, would you do us a favor? Would you forward to, uh, say, Robert and Tom, a f- it's not right this second, yeah. a photograph of at least one of your grandfather's <laughs> works, and we'll post it sure. on social media? Mm-hmm. Sure. So Galloway follows in his footsteps by... Uh, doing uh, interesting woodwork. Uh, sitting across from uh, Jim in the studio today, Amy Steigerwald, professor of political science at Georgia State University and also overseeing the internship program down at the state capitol this session. Hi, Amy. Hi, it's great to be here. Yeah, glad to have you here. Um, in fact, we're going to turn to you for some uh, interpretive information about the abortion <laughs> bill, the abortion bill, which yes. uh, passed a Senate committee today. We'll get to that in a minute. Howard Franklin, Democratic political consultant, joins us right now. Do you have candidates lined up for the 2020 cycle already? <laughs> Having a lot of those conversations, but no, no candidates lined up. Okay. It's 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 going to be a clown crier sort of primary. I think we want to see a little bit of it shake out before uh, jumping yeah. into the fray. <laughs> I got that. And uh, next, Howard, is Leo Smith. He's a Republican political consultant. He formerly worked with the Georgia Republican Party, did minority uh, outreach uh, for them. How about you, Leo? You lining up uh, clients for 2020? I am selectively considering a couple of campaigns, but right now focusing on a voting rights commission, a national project, which I'll be sharing more about in the future as the partners clear up and uh, the effort there uh, gets more detailed. Yeah, you told us a little bit about that uh, off the record. We look forward to hearing how it all comes together. All right, let's uh, start. Jim Galloway, an important morning at the Capitol. Uh, in the uh, Senate um, Science and Technology Committee, chaired by Renee Unterman, uh, last Thursday, just to set the stage, they had taken the first look and had a public hearing about the essentially uh, the, the bill which would essentially outlaw abortion in Georgia. They called it a fetal heartbeat bill uh, at six weeks. Uh, it is if once they detect a heartbeat, you are no longer allowed to have an abortion. She did not call for a vote on Thursday. She said, you know, let's give it a little time. Let's let people offer their thoughts, maybe if there's an amendment or two. But, and, but, but all of a sudden... But, but, but at 8 a.m. this morning, which is kind of sort of pre-dawn, yeah. uh, they held a, a very quick meeting. Uh, Democrats uh, offered three amendments, and uh, all were voted down three to two. Uh, It was a gender-oriented vote, Uh, three males versus two Democratic women. Uh, Renee Unterman, as chairman, did not have to vote. Um, And as uh, legislators left the committee room, there was a crowd outside, uh, many of them uh, protesters against this motion, and it got loud. They're yelling, shame, shame, shame. And at another point, the uh, crowd was yelling, no safe seat, which seems even more to the point. And yeah, that's more of a threat. And that was uh, that. And, and I'm, I'm sure uh, as, as this debate was going on, every Republican was thinking about uh, those uh, those uh, those shrinking number of uh, uh, suburban metro Atlanta seats. So um, let's let's all get in a conversation about this. Amy, uh, there was a. There was a time at which we thought perhaps that this bill 
was not going to end up really going anywhere this session. There were efforts to slow it down, even by the governor himself, who introduced legislation that would have left it up to the Supreme Court to decide whether Roe was constitutional or not. And only after that decision was made would Georgia take action. This feels like it got out of control, and it's heading towards passage in the Senate, we assume. I think that there was an attempt to, so the trigger bill that you're referring to would have said that if the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade, then incumbent upon the General Assembly passing a resolution that therefore would go into effect in Georgia law, a bill which completely outlawed abortion. Uh, This one was put in separately and would do it now, not waiting for Roe v. Wade, because the issue that it really bumps up against is sort of the practical effect that this bill under current law and under current Supreme Court interpretations is very clearly unconstitutional. Um, It does not meet the parameters that are laid out in Roe or any of its progeny and similar bills that have been challenged have been struck down. And so I think there was a concern of a number of people that one of the issues that you run into is that while this certainly makes a stand and says we are doing something on the issue of abortion for those that would like to outlaw it, it also is going to be one that is going to cost the state quite a lot of money to defend it, and they're going to lose unless something wildly changes in the scope of federal law. And so I think that was one of the reasons why people thought, at least politically, that the trigger bill made a bit more sense. So uh, before, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Leo, uh, is this bill going to pass the Senate? Is there any reason to think that there are some Republicans in the Senate who might feel this isn't the best thing to do? Well, I think that Republicans have already shown some willingness to be open and compromise. I know that the issue of uh, rape incest um, was uh, something that went became altered, and Republicans are supporting that uh, that that issue. Um, I think you said something, a- Amy, that is really key, and that is. Uh, uh, Governor Kemp wants to have something related to this bill passed. And so I think the senators are going to support a bill. This this bill is going to get support. Let me make sure. Yeah. Is are the exceptions still in the bill to the best of our knowledge? In other words, yeah, there's, for there's, race, there's, there's, incest, yes, yes, okay, race, but, incest and the life of the mother is right. in danger and instances of medical futility. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the incest and the rape one is a, a little bit problematic. Uh, because they both have to be supported by police reports mm-hmm. uh, filed within a certain window of time. And if you know anything about incest, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Howard? <clears throat> yeah, I, I wish I could, uh, I wish I had as much uh, optimism about this piece of legislation as I, I think I've heard expressed in a couple different conversations. <clears throat> I, I am afraid that something may pass. I, as you guys have already noted, the governor has been really clear that he wants to pass. It, likely the most restrictive uh, abortion bill in the country. And I, I think if we're headed toward that, we're back on the precipice of the culture wars. And I, that's just not good for many of the, the stakeholders who are very active uh, at, the, at the General Assembly. So, well, when you say we're headed back, yeah, given right. this bill, aren't we already in the middle I think we're already of them there. once again? We haven't been in the middle. I mean, I suppose RIFRA, the Religious Liberty Bill, has been an example of that. True. But this is even more intense by by by, a, many many multiples than RIFRA, right? I would agree. Uh, I think there's been a lot. Obviously, you guys are aware. A lot of the progressive and women's focused uh, advocacy groups have been stirring up the pot on this. You guys mentioned and played the uh, um, the protest, but I, I think hearing more from the business community that stood up. Uh, time and time again, when RIFRA has been proposed, is something else that I think those allies are looking for and expecting as this bill keeps marching toward a uh, toward a vote. Yeah, it's uh, what this does. This is different from RIFRA because it gets at it gets at the the Republican weakness that was displayed in November among female voters. Among uh, I mean, RIFRA, you're depending on 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 the LGBT community and the business community. To kind of to, to, to unite and form a constituency. With this one, you have a an, an immediate constitu- constituency of fifty two percent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Amy, how how are women going to react to that? I mean, obviously, women are not a monolithic force. Uh, nevertheless, I think it's fair to make some assumptions about how this bill hits women differently than it may hit many men. 
Well, I think it is important to note that it doesn't really affect men all that much, That's whereas it affects women on a, a lot of a day to day basis. And so I do think that comes into play. And I do think that that captures one of the issues that we have really seen between the two parties recently that on that women are not a monolithic group. Women, however, including Republican women, are much more likely to be pro-choice than their male counterparts. And I think we've seen some of that uh, with the bills that are coming up. And there's also, I think, a couple of questions that are in the Senate substitution that haven't perhaps received a ton of attention, which I think will be very interesting. One of them, uh, Jim and I were having a conversation earlier where I think it's possible it may be one of the first attempts to actually criminalize behavior by women. If I'm reading it correctly, it will lead to that if a woman uses a substance, which will lead to an abortion, which would cover medical abortion. So that's when you take a combination of two pills in order to induce an abortion, uh, that that would actually be covered as well by this bill. Um, and so that is going to be something that I think is going to come up under this. And there's also a lot of other questions about what does it mean with sort of finding the heartbeat about the determination of medical futility. Um, similarly, medical emergency, which is something that um, a lot of women have been concerned about. It's limited only to death or, quote, substantial or irreversible physical impairment of a major bodily function, which obviously would be a terrible thing. But the problem is that there's a lot of sort of major physical ailments that could happen that aren't actually covered in this. And so that can cause concern as well as to figure out what's going to go into this and also how it's going to affect doctors if they're consist consistently concerned about whether or not their determination will meet the legal standards, especially before they act in a way to try to save the mother's life. I just, you know, there's no shortage of legislation that are going to give Republicans fits and starts in 2020, right? Like we're talking about this. This sounds very, very bad, and there's a lot of reasons uh, that it shouldn't go forward. But I should also mention, you guys have talked about this before, Senate Bill 150, which would prohibit uh, domestic abusers from being able to use firearms, hasn't advanced through the House. Um, Roger Bruce has a bill, I think it's House Bill 90, that would actually look at uh, supplier diversity for Department of, of uh, Administrative Services, <laughs> DOAS, uh, and I've seen a number of women. And, and that bill is not going not anywhere. Going, not, it's okay. not going anywhere yet, no. Uh, and a number of women and a number of groups have also been tweeting and sharing on social media uh, about the fact that Georgia has the highest rate of maternal mortality in America. Uh, and the fact that instead of addressing some of these serious health issues in a legislative session like this one where health care has risen to the fore, we're doing House Bill 80, uh, 41. You know, Leo, it's interesting to me. Uh, we talk all the time about the fact that Donald Trump has decided to uh, play out his administration, all of his policies, all of his pronouncements for his base, and has never tried for a second to expand beyond that. It strikes me certainly the fetal heartbeat bill, uh, and perhaps some of the other measures that, that uh, Howard just mentioned, are examples of the same thing suddenly happening in the Georgia legislature where Republicans are in control playing strictly to the base. And and one of the things that's fascinating to me about that is we know that Brian Kemp ran a very conservative governor's race, uh, probably smart. I mean, he, he, he played to the base there and mobilized that base. Um, but then we got this sense when he came into office, you know, people said Brian Kemp is much more moderate. He's kind of in the same mold as Nathan Deal, run to the right, govern in, in a more centrist way. And then this comes along and it's all focused on the base and seems to me doesn't have much room beyond a very narrow constituency for support. Yes, I think what we see developing— Am I right about that yeah, no, or I wrong? Think, I think you're right. I think you're spot on. And uh, I think that what we're seeing is a story of um, the tried and true. When someone feels threatened, uh, you know, generally they go to their their, their, their go-to pitch in a, in a baseball game. The go-to pitch for Republicans has been some of these hardcore wedge issues. Donald Trump has demonstrated that. I think uh, um, uh, Governor Kemp, he— 
campaign on this issue, uh, on this bill. Yes, you did. Uh, it is there. It is actually uh, awakened a, a religious right that has been somewhat apathetic of late, um, in part because of people like Donald Trump and, 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 and in part because they just haven't found anything to get on fire for. This is one that will insert some fire into the electoral process here in Georgia. And I think the riding on that in face of, of the demographic changes that look like the numbers are starting to trend towards a, a blue state. So you look for, for something that is a hot hotly debated issue that people really are committed to, and this issue is one of them, in the same way that on the, on the other side, the voting rights issue is also a big issue. Yeah. Jim, you want to jump in? Well, it's just <clears throat> the, only, the only thing I would add here is, is, is building on what, what Howard was saying, is that you've got a major problem with attracting doctors into to parts of rural Georgia. Uh, and what this, this, this the, the, the bill as it's written right now puts a lot of onus uh, on on what doctors do uh, uh, in, in what their relation what what, what treatments they give uh, women who are expecting, and you know there's a it's it's it is it like many other abortion uh, bills that's pa- that have passed the legislature this one kind of uses it uses the civil courts as a it weaponizes the civil courts because in this bill a, a woman who undergoes an abortion can thereafter sue the physician uh, for, in, uh, for, for, for in, in compensation for a, for a human being's life that began at six weeks. I, that's, I, I have and a that's, hard time even wrapping my head around the convoluted thinking that, that's, that. that's And the, the, the fear on this is this is, uh, it's going to be hard to get a, a it's going to become harder for doctors to, to, to do, do their practice and get insurance. In Georgia. All right, so let me ask you a very simple question, Amy, mm-hmm. uh, because I haven't understood this from the start. The bill says that upon detection of a heartbeat, mm-hmm. uh, it essentially says it's a personhood bill. Mm-hmm. It essentially says that embryo, that fetus rather, is now a, a person mm-hmm. and cannot be aborted because that would be murder. Yes. I mean, it doesn't say that in the statute, but that's essentially what we're talking about here. Once you become the heartbeat is... De- all right. So, and we know from all the talk we've had about this, that heartbeats and fetuses are usually detected around the six weeks mark. That's the earliest point it can be detected. Right. But that's also why this virtually outlaws abortion. Exactly. Because, you know, the heartbeat is determined pretty early in the yes. pregnancy. Okay. So, how do you... I, I mean, do you ha- is it is the language in there such that the that you can't perform an abortion in a clinic if you detect a heartbeat? How is that going to work? Do you know what is how is this working? In other words, yes, I I, I a woman goes to the clinic and asks for an abortion. The personnel in the clinic detect a heartbeat. <clears throat> At that point, they are prevented from aborting the fetus. Is that how this works? Yes. Okay. With some very few exceptions, one of them being if you uh, rape and incest, if you have filed a police report. Uh, What they do carve out is the use of all of these procedures in the case of a spontaneous abortion, which is a miscarriage, right? So that's the technical term for a miscarriage, um, or in the case of ectopic pregnancies, which is where it's on the outside, um, and that can be incredibly uh, fatal. Um, but otherwise, the emergency or for medical futility, um, but otherwise it has that or if there is that final sort of emer- medical emergency, but that medical emergency is really in sort of a, a very dire thing. Either I have to have organ failure or the mother is going to die. And otherwise, yes, this is explicitly saying that for any other instance, for any other reason, uh, even if you think, for example, there could be medical harm to the mother, but it's not going to result in right, impairment of a major bodily function or death, it would not be allowed. I have a question related to that. So one would assume that the day after, you know, you would not expect a heartbeat the day after from the embryo, fetus, whatever Mm -hmm. you want. So, so... So therefore, with that 72-hour day-after, quote-unquote, pill that's out there, would we expect to then therefore see more use of that? Uh, So it actually is also covered in this bill because the bill explicitly talks about using, it's not just about various procedures, it actually also says an abortion is, it, it covers using a substance, 
right, which I would imagine is would cover chemical. And so that's right. also why um, it has the possibility of also not only criminalizing the behavior of the doctor, but also of the woman if she's engaging in the medical abortion, because she would be the one who's actually using the substance, which would be the pills. All right. So uh, there are so many implications to this. And I know, Mr. Galloway, that you are working on a column that's going to lay out with uh, Amy Stagerwald being involved with you even more of the details of this. All right. So, Will, your column will appear in the Wednesday paper. It will be online sometime tomorrow. In the meantime, uh, we're going to see an immediate stay. Uh, We're going to see immediately any number of people, organizations, whatever, go into federal court uh, once this bill is signed by the governor, assuming all that happens, calling for a stay, and because— of the history of the courts in terms of abortion restrictions, we expect a stay would be granted. So nothing is really going to change in terms of abortion for the time. No, but but we do remember that the that the the this this kind of legislative legislative measure is designed in part to become a vehicle for 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 judicial disputes. Sure, that's my point, Howard. That they're looking forward. I mean, we've we've heard Republicans in the legislature actually say it would be great if Georgia is the case that goes up to the Supreme Court, uh, and it's the Georgia case that decides the constitutionality of Roe. You know, I, we've already had uh, quite a bit of quite a bit of time in the in the spotlight the last two years in politics. I don't know how much more the state's going to be able to stand. Uh, but yeah, I, I've heard I've heard that argument as well, and I I don't know that I think it'd be a good thing. Amy? Yeah. Well, I think it is actually important to note that if the bill passes, it means that, in fact, the status quo changes. The law will change. And even if it's stayed, it simply it means that the status quo is not able to be implemented and enforced. But this still remains the status quo unless and until it's changed by the court. So that really does sort of shift things and, again, sets it up right again to have to be sort of looked at in the court because otherwise it would, in fact, be implemented. And it means starting to change the landscape of what it means. I mean, Jim brought up the point of doctors deciding to move into areas, particularly those that are uh, OBGYNs. There are a lot of areas of Georgia that do not have any counties that do not have any OBGYNs that practice within them. And this, again, can sort of raise another level for that. we got to get to a break. But before we do the political side of this, Leo, uh, one of the chants that the people who were up there in the committee, the anti-bill people, were yelling was no safe seat. Is that right? Are we going to see during the 2020 cycle a lot of challenges in legislative races, more and more resources poured into defeating incumbents who uh, supported this measure? Indeed. I think, as, as Howard was um, pointing to, uh, Georgia's already in that sort of environment. That is now the, the, the atmosphere that is here. Uh, this is going to be more of a, a swing state. We're going to see a lot more money coming from national committees to the state. And also these advocacy groups are going to be playing a big role in politics in Georgia in the future. All right. We will watch how this proceeds. We're not quite sure when the Senate... Again, Jim, I've said this before. If I'm the uh, president of the Senate, the lieutenant governor, or the chair of the Rules Committee, or one of the leaders of the Senate, I would be saying to my people, could we please vote this quickly? We do not need days and days of people protesting in front of the chamber. Well, uh, we did have uh, uh, Jeff Duncan, the lieutenant governor and president of the Senate, saying that he anticipated a vote by the end of this week. All right, we'll watch how it develops. Let's do this. Let's get to our first break of the show when we come back. Got a lot more to talk about on today's Political Rewind. You know, selling a car can be a hassle, but donating it is a whole different story. Let us take it off your hands or off your driveway and turn it into public radio and maybe even a tax deduction. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the host of Marketplace, and here is how to donate. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or donate securely online at gpb.org slash cars. And thanks. Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman on the Supreme Court, liked to say it's good to be first, but you don't want to be the last. She knew that all eyes were on her, that everyone was watching her, and if she screwed up, she was going to screw up for a woman for all time. 
the triumph and tragedy of the woman who has been called the unfeminist feminist this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. It's 4 till 7 today on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. Jim Galloway, the uh, Sunday AJC had a long uh, investigative piece, really terrific reporting. I won't try to get deep into the weeds on it. So just at, at the basics, the basics of the story, which relate to the state's takeover or attempt to take over the airport during this legislative session, in my opinion, the basics of the story are that after she was elected, as mayor-elect during that brief period 2017. Between, right, between the election day and her uh, swearing in, Keisha Bottoms wanted to secure salaried positions for a number of top staffers on her campaign, including Marva Lewis, who had been her campaign manager. And she wanted to get them, get some money to them. She wanted to make sure they had pay Right now, this sort. this is and this is something that's usually taken care of uh, through campaign camp, right. campaign contributions. Exactly, exactly. But in this case, according to the reporting that your team did, what she did was put them on salary. Some, was able to get them salaried positions uh, through the city payroll. And the one that really stands out is Marvel Lewis, who was a very effective campaign manager for. Uh, for Keisha Bottoms and was her mm-hmm. chief of staff initially, was a job as deputy chief of Hartsfield Jackson yeah, Airport. De- de- deputy two, GM, yeah. $280,000 a year job. $273,000 oh, okay. a year job. I'm just wrong. And she was, she, was only, she was only in that position for uh, the weeks after the election to, uh, and to, to maybe two weeks beyond the transition. The, the, it, uh, the total amount paid to her appears to have been 22500 and we, we kind of know this because the, uh, the, the, the mayor's office reimbursed the airport for that money. My understanding, and if I got this wrong, please correct me, that they reimbursed the airport after your reporters right. began mm-hmm. asking questions about right. how Marvel Lewis was getting paid. Right. And, and, uh, and this is, you know, you're, revenue from the airport is supposed to stay at the airport. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a big no-no. We've, it, it, uh, there was uh, apparently the, the FAA is already uh, investigating a case, a uh, previous case during the Reed administration, where some air, airport revenue may or been may or may not have been used to to pay uh, some legal bills for arise, arising from uh, the grand jury investigations, uh, and and this could be another one. We're not, you know, I, the the word we're using is improper. We're not saying it's illegal yet, uh, and and so so we're not there. What's interesting though is that this afternoon, as we're talking, uh, you had uh, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottom at the state capitol uh, having a tête-à-tête with uh, with uh, House Speaker David Ralston and Minority Leader Bob Trammell. Okay, so I want to open this up to the panel, but this would be bad enough. Uh, and, and in fact, one of the reasons we all know about this is that uh, one of the senior campaign advisors, Charlie uh, Statlander, refused to take one of these positions because he thought it was improper, and, when, and he went to the feds. Right, right. So we've already got the feds deep into an investigation of the Kasim Reed administration, and now there's at least the beginning of something. We don't know. what They may decide there's nothing really here, but at least they are apparently starting to look at it a little. It would have been bad enough if it had been involved with any other department, but Howard, at the same time that the state wants to take over Hartsfield, Marva Lewis's job was being a sister deputy GM at Hartsfield Jackson. Yeah, um, a lot of us who've been watching this process have, you know, (laughs) looked at it and thought that, the timing has just been terrible for the city. Obviously, with this happening uh, at the, the state legislature and it moving through the legislative process, and you know a number of negative news stories coming out—not just this one, but others. In well, the last BJ week Pack uh, had a news conference in which he revealed an indictment against That's another right. contractor bribery case, and that contractor had at least one big construction project at Hartsfield. That's right. Although most of his, he was not a vendor at the airport. Right. Correct. Um, you know, also, as we are sitting in the studio uh, happening right now, Atlanta City Council is meeting. I don't know that uh, we've had an open forum with members of council since this news story broke. I heard rumors of it last week, but I don't know how widely it had been, it had been talked about. 
until it was published. I imagine that from the day as today, we will hear some members of council proposing additional oversight, uh, you know, additional checks and balances on a number of things that the administration and the airport are able to do in response to a lot of the news we've seen the last two weeks. So, Leo, um, we know that the speaker has been skeptical about moving forward this measure for the state takeover. The Senate passed it, sent it across the way to the House. Uh, And it's interesting that Galloway tells us that the mayor's meeting over there today. Uh, Do we think that there's going to be any momentum to push this thing forward? Or is this just a blip on the radar because the speaker realizes there's no point in trying to take over the airport? Well, I mean, I think we have to consider, you know, any type of work being done by BJ Pack, and then and I think they're taking that into consideration. But I think this is um, stating the importance of transparency about integrity and the governmental processes about spending, um, and 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 you can this is going to get pushed to the point where even if there is no takeover. There will at least be a continual um, transparency issue open, just like Felicia Moore, city council uh, chair, did for the city of Atlanta, where she formed that whole transparency system. I think something of that effect is going to come out of this, which conservatives will feel better about. What I, I, I again, you know, the speaker, Amy, has said all along, give me a reason we should take over. I haven't seen a legitimate one yet. Uh I get that there have been some problems at the airport. This marvelous thing isn't really about the airport. It's about the city. Nevertheless, right. I, I find it. So what's a state oversight committee going to look like and what are they going to do? <laughs> I'll admit that when it comes to the substantive details of the currently pending sending Senate bill, I'm a bit confused about what the what it in fact is meant to do, particularly because we have uh, previous determinations both by the FAA and federal courts that stipulate such a state takeover isn't possible. Right. Um, the contract with the FAA is actually with the city of Atlanta. This was a similar thing was done and I think it would they tried to do it in Charlotte. Yep. Uh, that failed. That was a couple years ago. And so unless the city of Atlanta agrees to the takeover or agrees to a amendment to the ownership, the bill doesn't have any effect in that purpose. And I, so I'll admit that I, I'm a little confused about where well, it that's, what, that's what I was sort of getting to, that the offensive yeah. from Mayor Bottoms position now being mm-hmm. forced by the Republicans, the offensive on her side is to go create a compromise. Maybe this is a negotiation for allow us to have more oversight by your own agreement. And this Again, this is where I'm going to say Leo's being a bit more optimistic than, than I am about the intentions of the Republicans who propose this legislation. I, I think this is, even if it were to pass, it'd be a Pyrrhic victory for uh, the Republican Party underneath the Gold Dome. It's, it's not going to actually uh, manifest in any sort of oversight. And I think if you if we started from a place where we said we see some issues and we want to discuss the city, how, if, if even if the state legislature said we see some issues that we would like to address, as opposed to jumping all the way off the bridge at the word takeover, yeah. maybe there could be some common ground. So, Jim, uh, are you getting any reading from people down there that the speaker could be persuaded that the House ought to act on this bill? Or is he, do you get the sense that he still stands pretty firmly well, behind well, we know not that, taking it Well, we up? know that the bill has, once it passed the Senate, the bill was referred to the House Rules Committee. Yeah, where, where those which, things can die there very but easily. It's, but it's, no, but this, is, this, is, <clears throat> this is very important because it's not, it is, you know, it, it's not, it doesn't go, it, it wasn't sent to the House Transportation right. Committee. It wasn't sent to the Judiciary Committee. There, there there are, or, or or any number the rules committee is is uh uh Kind of that's where the the core of the House Republican leadership yeah. is, and yeah. that what that tells you is the Ralston wants very very direct control over that bill and and where and when it moves. All right, so this gets into the weeds a little, but it's worth what talking about. Can if it's now in the rules committee. Uh, so the rules committee could vote to put it on the calendar. Oh yes, yeah, without yeah. any other yes. committee being involved at all. Right, but 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 you've got to assume that 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 your rules committee chairman is your most loyal uh, well, soldier right. for for, and, for and David. Ralston. So for people who don't follow the legislature as closely as as some people in this at this table do, most of you, um, typically 
say the bill had gone to the Transportation Committee, uh, they would have had to vote on it. If they'd voted it out, it would have had to win a spot on the rules right. calendar. That's a second step. Right. In this case, if the Rules Committee votes it out, it's going to end up on the calendar. Right. There's not going to be any other thing holding and, it back. And, and what's, more, what's more is that it, it could also be amended in, in, in yeah. the Rules Committee, yeah. which means uh, its contents would be very much controlled by the Speaker. Howard, how is the mayor doing with all this? The mayor, I, I'm having a very hard time, and I think a lot of people are, at least there's conversation, about the fact that she had said this is like a war. And was out of town for, I think, a, the first week when all of this was really going down at the Capitol. She's now over there with the Speaker, which is, you know, it's, I, but it's hard to get a read on whether it's been wise of her to not be public about this, not be out there, except for a couple comments. And maybe is she working it quietly <clears throat> behind the scenes? Is she overmatched here? What's your sense of well, all this? What I would say to start is that this was always going to be a tough challenge for the administration, the entire city. Um, this line of proposals started when Hartsville Jackson was without a general manager, right? Mm -hmm. um, in addition to that fact, you've had a number of folks try to stand in the gap. So when the mayor hasn't been available, you've had a number of council members, council member or council president Felicia Moore in particular, but other members have also testified in committee. Um, I do think the city could present potentially offer a more aggressive defense here. But I also have to acknowledge that again, and I, I go back to Leo's comment, this is not, we didn't sit down and say, let's have a negotiation about how we could ensure that the economic engine of the state runs more efficiently or is free of corruption. By the way, none of the none of the issues that we're, we're hearing about actually take place at the airport. Right. When we're talking about procurement, that's a city hall function. Right. That's and the mayor and council have made a number of legislative and policy decisions to try to address some of those things. Uh, but all that said, I do think there is a there's there's a feeling that people want to see more from our mayor. They want and and, and I just it's not a, a knock or uh, a step back from what we've seen from council, but people are she's popular. People want to see her making the case for why this should not go okay. forward. Um, all right. Uh, so that bill is still pending out there. I want to uh, do a quick kind of lightning round before we go to a break and talk uh, very briefly about a few bills that got attention from us certainly on political rewind, but also. Uh, in uh, other media outlets around the state. Whatever happened to is what we're calling our lightning round. Jim Galloway, hate crimes bill. That bill passed the House. It would have been a, an on, on enhancement. Cross, crossover day, right. right. Mm -hmm. it, it, it was not about freedom of speech. This was if you committed a crime and there appeared to be an element of prejudice, bigotry, hatred involved, there'd be a, a phase of the trial for an enhanced penalty to prove that it's a hate crime. Right, right. Why, what happened to it? Supported by prosecutors, uh, Chuck F. Stration of, uh, of Tukula, uh, is was a Republican, uh, was the sponsor of the bill. It passed the House, I think, with yes. six vo votes to spare. Yes. It yep. was a close one. Yep. Uh, and, and it had the first uh, first. Uh, it's the first piece of legislation passed by either chamber to include sexual orientation as a protected class. That's important. It got referred to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, I checked with uh, F. Stration uh, very, very recently, like within the last couple hours. It has, it, it has no hearing has been scheduled for it. Uh, I, I would think that this is this is look it, it, what has happened uh, in the Capitol over the last say ten ten years is that the Senate has become the more ideologically uh, motivated uh, portion of the, of the of the chamber. And you're saying sexual orientation is the troublesome passage as it has always been has for been. years. Always has been. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, Amy, we remain if in fact it doesn't move. We remain one of only five states in the country that do not have some kind of hate crimes bill law. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, anybody? Well, I think it's also very interesting that um, one person voting against it was fellow Republican to Chuck Efestration, uh, Sherry Gilligan, right? And her district looks very different, you know, with 79% white and 2.3% black. Um, I, I think that... Again, this is about who controls the message based on some of the demographic trends they see developing. And it's interesting that uh, Chuck would be moving so forth. I see this a little differently. I mean, 
a lot of the same Republicans who've, who've advanced the airport takeover bill like to call our attention to the fact that only two major airports in the country are not run by an authority or don't have some degree of regional oversight and are just run by the the city hall. Wait, are you back at the airport? I'm just going to make a comparison oh, okay. here. <laughs> I'm, I'm making the comparison oh, I'm that sorry. a lot of the folks who brought those points up seem to be oblivious to the fact that Georgia is one of only five states without a, I, a hate crime bill. I apologize. I, no I, problem. I, I suddenly thought I wasn't quite sure where you're heading with that. All right. Uh, the tampon tax bill, an, an effort, Amy, to remove tax from uh, uh, female uh, hygiene products. Um, Jan Jones, one of the leaders of mm-hmm. the state house, said, I don't think we should pass this thing. And and they didn't. Was there good reason for this measure? And why does this thing go down in defeat? Well, on the argument for it, the reason that people are putting it in is that it's a tax which is under the auspices of those that are supporting the bill to remove it is a tax that applies to a medical device. And it's one of the only medical devices in the country that has a tax applied to it. And so we're talking about tampons and pads that are used during menstruation, right? Other devices that people use on a daily or weekly or monthly basis, such as uh, diabetic tools and things like that are not covered, like they're not taxed separately. And so it's getting at that. Um, And it also is connected to sort of broader movements to make sure that these, you know, medical devices are being applied or given to women in other areas such as in the Department of Corrections. So that's actually is a big change that has been done is that the Department of Corrections is now going to ensure that women are given pads. They used to have to buy them out of their own thing. As to why there are others fighting against it, um, there's a lot of different arguments. I mean, some of it is that there is an argument of that it takes away revenue from the state, and perhaps that's not a good place to be taking it away. Uh, There's also sort of the questions of how it is that those money should be applied and whether or not, right, how far this should be spread over. But I will admit, as someone who, of course, has to pay this tax, I would really rather not for something that's necessary. But, of course, here's what's the bigger issue here in in the larger context. Uh, This is the kind of legislation that's introduced when suddenly you have more women Mm -hmm. in the legislature. It is, and I think that's a big shift that we're seeing. I mean, there's there's a ton more women, and it's, in fact, something that you can point to, which, to be perfectly blunt, I'm a little surprised because it seems like low-hanging fruit of... How do you get upset about the idea that there's an unnecessary tax put on 52% of the population every single month? And, hey, I'm fighting for all of you, and it seems pretty nonpartisan on yeah, some uh, level. Bill, there's, an, there's another bill. I can't, I, I can't, I, I, I believe it passed the House on crossover day. Uh, Sharon Cooper was a sponsor, a Republican out of Marietta, that would bar the shackling of, of mothers, uh, imprisoned mothers, while, while they're, they are being delivered of their children. Uh, you know, it, did it get? Is it go uh, moving? I, I believe it. I believe it passed the House. Okay. Uh, uh, I don't know what its fortune is in the Senate. And well, I mean that that corresponds with also correlates with the First Step Act that Doug Collins was um, got passed in Congress too. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. All right. Same so thing. to round out the issues that relate to women, the Equal Rights Amendment was brought up in this uh, session of the legislature. Georgia never did ratify the. ERA, one of a, there's only, I think, how many more states? Three more states or something like that necessary, Howard? Sounds right. That went nowhere either. So these are measures that are women are especially interested in. It's telling that with more women in the legislature, these things would come up. But they haven't gotten very far. They haven't gotten far in the legislative uh, discussions, but you, you will hear them uh, bandied about come 2020 and, and before. I think not only in the general elections that we're going to talk so much about, but also in many of the primaries where I think people are looking for and, and hankering for more progressive leadership or more inclusive leadership, I should say. i got to get to our final break of the show. We'll be back in just a minute with a lot more on Political Rewind. On the next Fresh Air, life and death on Rikers Island. Dr. Homer Venters spent nine years as head of New York City's Correctional Health Services, where he oversaw the care of thousands of inmates. He details horrific cases of inmate deaths from beatings and neglect, and describes some hard-won institutional changes that improved things, some. He has a new memoir. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 on GPB and gpbnews.org.
touchdown. John Nelson here from GPB Sports reminding you that in Georgia, the four seasons are not winter, spring, summer, and fall. It is football, spring football, Cruton, and National Signing Day. On the Football Fridays in Georgia podcast, we'll tell you the stories on and off the field. Subscribe at gpb.org forward slash sports and wherever your favorite podcasts are found. Jim Galloway has more on the Sharon Cooper. Yeah, this is this is House Bill 345. It did pass on crossover day on, on March 7th. It, it has been referred to a Senate committee, and it has not moved. And this would uh, prohibit the state uh, in, in prisons from shackling women during childbirth. Right, inmates. right, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow's Election Day uh, in a number of venues. Let me go over a little bit real quickly uh, for those of you uh, listening from across the state. Here in Atlanta, there is a special election to fill the vacancy of city councilman Ivory Lee Young Jr., who died of cancer. Um, Cherokee County is electing a new commissioner in one of their districts. Clayton County, the schools are looking for a splost. It's a penny sales tax that they want to use to raise some $280 million and more over the next five years. They've got a long list of things they want to do with their schools for that. They want to, among other things, create a career academy, college prep academy, give preschool to uh, some of their kids who haven't had it, all of that sort of thing. Snellville residents are going to decide on whether to support the Sunday brunch bill. Here's to Snellville. I want to go out and have (laughs) Sunday morning brunch in Snellville. And Jim, the big one, Gwinnett County, tomorrow is the final, it is election day. And uh, right now, this bill to uh, this referendum to uh, enact a one-cent sales tax to expand MARTA is right on the brink. Right, yeah, and this is, you know, a lot of people are calling this the most important MARTA vote since 1974 uh, because it's because it's because it, it, uh, it raises the possibility of MARTA moving into geographic territory that has shunned it uh, twice before. All right, anybody have a sense of where this is going? Or either you, Leo, or Howard, are you working on this at all? I was, I was just talking to some advocates and some... Um, pollsters out in Gwinnett, um, and they were saying that, you know, at one point they were thinking this was going to be a pretty significant turnout around 30 percent, but now they're saying they're seeing early vote turnout at 40 percent, and that uh, these are the more conservative voters that are tend to be coming out. So it's not looking real good for this vote. It, the, de- the demographics, Howard, on the early vote are all I mean, much older let voters. Me just, let me just point back to the decision that was made to move this to a March 19th vote yeah. instead of keeping it where it deserved to be November of last year. All right. Amy? Um, I mean, I would say the one thing, if you look at sort of the early vote turnout, that uh, Brenda Lopez had said this a while ago, that she thought we would really see the numbers tick up once multiple early voting locations opened up, that we would start to see that. But I think the the other side of it is, you know, and perhaps not surprisingly, right, the early votes are tending uh, much older. In fact, it's it's almost 70 percent of the vote is uh, those who have turned out so far over the age of 50. So it does suggest that you're seeing, uh, you know, a, a very small sort of segment of the population that's engaging in early voting. So it's hard to tell what that means. You did have you did have the the Go Gwinnett forces. They're they the advocates of the referendum on Friday. They kind of rolled out their, their two heavy hitters. They had, on both sides of the spectrum, mm-hmm. they had a radio ad uh, with an endorsement from Stacey Abrams uh, for the vote. And then on the other side, you had uh, Eric Erickson of uh, WSB radio fame. Oh, what a, also a marriage, a around, a marriage a around Marta between yes. Stacey yep. Abrams <laughs> and Eric Erickson. <laughs> Who would have ever thunk it? <laughs> hey, Jim Galloway, speaking of Stacey Abrams, she gave a long interview <laughs> To Dan Balls, the Washington Post, Dan being one of the premier political reporters in the, in journalism today, and she kept open uh, this notion that she may run for president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the one thing interesting there, I thought, and uh, is uh, I, I saw it on on Sunday, and uh, and uh, she was she was. Uh, uh, kind of touting her foreign policy expertise. Yeah, where did that come from? Uh, uh, she's got a permanent membership on the Council of Foreign, foreign Affairs up in New York. Where is she going, Howard? Well, come, come on, you're that, a Democrat. I don't know the answer to that question, <laughs> but obviously there's a lot. Not, uh, not only just a Democrat, someone who's worked for her. I think she will certainly 
keep all these options open. I mean, with Beto jumping into the race, and I think uh, another a good friend, uh, Andrew Gillum, who just lost a, a close governor's race in Florida, making an announcement on Wednesday. I, I expect a lot more fireworks there, for the next several there weeks. Was, there was there was a re- there's a really important tidbit here, Bill, that we haven't kind of put where we haven't put two and two together is is that Joe Biden he's the last big shoe to drop uh, in the in the Democratic presidential race. Uh, the, the, there are reports that he is he is contemplating. He he knows he's going to be at a disadvantage in this large field. He's contemplating naming a vice presidential candidate. Uh, and ticket. he and Stacey Abrams met recently. Yes, they we did. haven't talked about it. It's been out there. We just haven't gotten around to it. And I don't know, Amy, the notion that if you're Joe Biden at his age and I'm right up there with him, so I'm not, a, you know, casting <laughs> any aspersions on him. Uh, if if he were to name a young, uh, energetic, attractive, forty five year old, African American woman, Stacey Abrams, man, you know that might be a reason to not run for Senate against David Perdue. It not only, I mean, <laughs> it's very real for Biden. I mean, so Biden's met with her. I mean, let's also note that so has Elizabeth Warren, One. Kirsten Gillibrand, another Smala Harris, mm-hmm. yeah. many Klobuchar, of them, but she brings in an amazing ground game in a swing state, and also, particularly for Biden, he's facing a lot of concerns about his past stances, especially on issues of criminal justice and things like that, and having someone who is unabashedly progressive on his ticket with him might allay some of those concerns, especially with uh, younger voters, but... It would be very interesting because I think considering Biden's gift for the gaffe, um, it would be probably the first vice presidential candidate that gets more airplay than the presidential candidate. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, we will watch that. We've been promised. I shouldn't say promised, but uh, initially Abrams thought by the end of March she was going to decide what she would do, whether it was running for Senate against David Perdue or whatever else. Uh, now she's saying apparently early April. So uh, we'll watch and see how th- that develops, uh, Howard. Going to be exciting. I, I have to acknowledge <laughs> that the notion of um, of her running for president at first seemed far-fetched. And, and the more you think about it, why shouldn't she uh, shoot, aspire to higher office? Why she's been uh, incredibly successful here. She lost, of course, but lost by a very small margin and ran the kind of race that Democrats have been looking for forever. Maybe it makes perfect sense for her to want to aspire I think maybe for it higher does. office. I, th- I think she's also broken a number of other records and become a history maker in another other spaces before yeah. even running for this. All so right. why not? Uh, we're about to run out of time. Amy, keeping with the theme of women, which we talked about with some uh, in some detail during the show today, Beto O'Rourke, uh, he announced for president. He went to a cafe in Iowa, got up on a table or a counter, and CNN and MSNBC carried the entire, what was a nothing more than the kind of event that every candidate does when they go to Iowa or New Hampshire, carried the entire thing live. Vanity Fair puts him on the cover, and there are female candidates like Kamala Harris out there. I haven't heard her say it herself, but there are people who are supporting those female candidates who are saying, oh, really? It's the white guy who gets all this attention? Studies have shown that men, and particularly white men, are much more likely to get favorable coverage, that they're much more likely to have attention given to their policy positions, that women have to fight much more for that coverage. And it is notable that there were very early on four women who put in, and if you look at the coverage that's been given, their coverage compared to Beto and Biden has been incredibly small. Yes, well, of course, you can say the attention hasn't necessarily served him well. He made quite a few gaffes in the first uh, rollout <laughs> yeah. weeks. All right. We're out of time today. Uh, thank you, Amy Steigerwalt, uh, Howard Franklin, Leo Smith, and Jim Galloway. You'll be back. I'll see you on Friday when uh, Doug Jones, U.S. Oh, Senator from right. Alabama, is going to be joining us for the show. Thanks uh, to all of you. We'll be back here again tomorrow at 2 o'clock for another Political Rewind. 